0: Welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones, as well as the movie adaptation of that book with special
1: guest, friend of the podcast, Lauren. Hey, Lauren. Hi. Yeah, I'm Lauren, they, them pronouns. And I'm super excited to be here. We're super
2: excited to have you.
1: We very it's much. It's been a are. long time coming. It has been.
0: It has been. And when we talked about doing this book table, immediately was like, we have to get Lauren on. We <laughs> knew that you were super um, into the movie in particular. You can't see Lauren if we do post a video on socials. Maybe you'll be able to see um their Zoom background is. Uh, an image
1: from the film of moving castles so it's very exciting <laughs> we love the enthusiasm yeah i mean uh, we were just talking about this and i think this is a reason uh you all invited me i've been doing like miyazaki rewatches mm-hmm. and things like that so i definitely came to all of this through the movie uh, rather than the book which is interesting
0: yeah it, it well, what's really funny too is we we're also talking about this before we got started here today is how very different the book and the movie are, which has not necessarily been the case from all the other books that we've talked about that have film adaptations. So it's going to be really interesting to talk about like adaptation changes. It's like, well, like, no, it's literally like totally different, but uh, and that makes it really fun because then there's just more to like versus being, I don't like how they changed this one scene, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be really fun. Before we dive into the book and the film, let's talk about what we are obsessing over, what we're super into this week. Tasia, you want to kick things
2: off for us? Sure. So I read Satisfaction Guaranteed by Corellia Stets Waters, which is um, a really fun queer rom-com. It's two women that um, are bequeathed a failing sex shop in, uh, in a will, and their job is to save it from, from failure. And, uh, they're two very different people. Like I I like it as like very Dharma and Greg, if Dharma and Greg were both queer women. a Great comparison. Yeah. I love that. Um, One is very much like a a free spirit, like fun, loving hippie ish type. And the other one's very much like a stick in the mud business type. So it's a really fun dynamic. Yeah. I mean, what else, what else could you want?
0: Yeah. I read it earlier this summer and I thought it was, it was really good. And the way the author made them actually like work was really Mm -hmm. fun to read they were very different though
2: yeah yeah it's super fun uh very sex positive too I liked a lot of really good conversations to see it yeah so I also read an arc of Iron Widow by Sharon J. Zhao (laughs) I think it was pitched as Handmaid's Tale meets Pacific Rim and it's kind of it's it's really a wild book it's like Historical fantasy, sci-fi, but also futuristic. So, like the language used is very modern language. So it feels almost like anachronistic at times. You're like, is this language right for like this setting? But there is no right language for the setting because the setting is all over the place. I was talking to a friend of the pod, Jesse, and and she was like, yeah, this book is basically the writer just being like, I want to do this, so I'm doing it. Like, fuck it, who cares? And uh, it's just, it's wild. It's it's so fun. It's yeah, I I don't know how else really to get into it, but it's really great. It comes out I think literally tomorrow as, yeah. as we are recording. Um, so everybody, I would I would highly highly recommend it. Um, she's like the author is basically taking like real historical figures and sort of fictionalizing them for this book, and it's just it's really interesting. There's like a lot of elements of Chinese history in there, and it's just really really fun.
1: I want to shout out to, I follow the author on Twitter, and she's talked mm-hmm. a lot about that process and things like that. It's made me so interested in the book because I know in a lot of ways it's a response to, like, very Western interpretations of the same uh, era. Like mm-hmm. you said, maybe how era well. is a wrong term because of, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm also super fascinated by, like, how it, I haven't read it, obviously, but, like, how it might play with those and things like that. So, Yeah.
0: I'm at like 20% into it right now. And it is very shocking. Just like you said, you like, orient yourself to like time and space. Like what, what? I'm very confused. Cause you totally get handmade vibes, like right off the bat kind of actually reminded me of the reading experience of How's moving castle when you're just reading along. And all of a sudden there's like computers and a car. Yeah. You're like <laughs> What is happening here? Like I felt very, I'm feeling similarly in iron widow, but it's so fast paced and it's moving along really well. And it's very immersive. I like it a lot. Um, Lauren, what are you into these days?
1: Yeah, so I just started reading. So I'm not very far into it, but I started Gideon the Ninth uh mm-hmm. by Tamsin Muir, uh which I I have to admit I'm not usually into a lot of science fiction stuff. Fantasy Same. is definitely my realm, yeah. but mm-hmm. but I think it blends those things so well that it's really been able to hold my attention and I've really appreciated that it's more of a like science fantasy genre so I've like I said I'm not super far into it but I'm
2: really enjoying it at the moment that book is such a wild ride it is just like I I literally can't even like describe that book it is it's wild it's so much it hard. was pitched to me as like what lesbian
1: necromancers in space yeah and I was just like great <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> fantastic. Me
0: the covers are so cool of those books too and mm-hmm. really just Gives you a good sense of what I I have not read them, so I just feel like a sense of what the vibe is, or at least what I perceive to be the vibe is. Someday I'll read that. I just feel like I have to be in the mood, and I don't, I don't know when that'll be, but it'll like strike me one day. <laughs> and I see um also perhaps relevant. I looked ahead to some of your notes here today. Um, a Tolkien reference here.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um. So the nature of Middle Earth, uh, by J.R. Tolkien, compiled by I can't remember who it was compiled by now. Uh, just came out very recently, like the past couple of weeks. And it's essentially a bunch of Tolkien's notes on Middle-earth that's kind of compiled into this what else is out there about (laughs) Middle-earth, what has he said? Um, And yeah, there might be a little bit of a reference to that later because um, Hell's Moving Castle author actually studied under Tolkien um, at Oxford, and so there's a little bit of a connection, I think. I didn't know that. That's super cool. I'm happy to talk about I'm a huge <laughs> Tolkien fan, as like you both know, of course. <laughs> and I think I think that was actually a thing that I I noticed a lot is how much of the world building will get to House Moving Castle later. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but <laughs> is very Tolkien-esque in the way she sets up narratives and things like that. That sounds
0: fascinating. It's so it's so cool how you're like still getting more from him years, years and years down the road from initial publication.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's cool. The gift that keeps on giving. What am I obsessing for this week? Uh, a couple of things relevant to this podcast. I feel like this YA podcast, I like really never talk about the YA that I read. So I'm going to highlight it. And this was good. A good example of a great YA romance it's called Counting Down With You by Tashi Buyan. It is about a girl who... And this was apparently very controversial. It is, I, I know there's controversy also around the term own voices, but Tashi Buyan is Bangladeshi and it's about a girl whose parents are very, very strict with her and they go back to Bangladesh for 28 days. And she basically has 28 days to like live her best life like out from under their thumb and i mean she said it's very based on her experience and knowing that it's kind of hard to read at times but it was just i felt a really empowering story about this girl learning to stand up for what she wanted out of her life and also just a really swoony book boyfriend and Uh, one of the most natural ways of writing teenagers and how they converse and how I I assume they text. And just, it felt very YA, but while like grappling with some bigger stuff and just really like pull at your heartstrings. And I just thought it was great. I'm also like low-key jealous of Tashi Buyon. She lives with Chloe Gong, who wrote...
2: Oh, these violent delights,
0: these violent delights, they like met on Twitter and they're just like living their best, like 23 year old New That's York adorable. life, like being writers together. So they're great. Insta files. Um, really I like them a lot. And then my other big obsession this week, which I guess I really kind of can't stop thinking about. I read it a couple weeks ago, um, is the love hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. This is kind of blowing up all over bookstagram and whatnot. It's A much anticipated rom com coming out this year. What I think is particularly fascinating about it is that it is actually a reworked Raylo fic that was originally posted on AO3. Allie Hazelwood was contacted by her agent who read the fic on AO3, and they completely reworked it and changed all the names and whatnot. And uh, Allie Hazelwood herself has a PhD in neuroscience, so the book is set in academia the main characters are neuroscientists. And I was surprised as someone who does not particularly go in for that ship very much, how much I loved it. I think it really strips away a lot. So it's basically like Grumpy Sunshine is the only like passing resemblance to Raylo. But I it was kind of like trope bingo. I felt like I was playing like just everything I wanted, like in a romance, just you know, there's only one bad and, and just every trope you could think of. And I, I loved the um, women in STEM focus that it had, and it was just like a ton of fun. And yes, the main character, the main guy the character's name is Adam. If you look at the cover of the book, they do look like Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. But I, you know, it, isn't that like the dream of anyone who's ever read or written fan fiction? Is that you're just going to get like plucked from from writing, spending all your time on Ao3, and making a very very popular. Uh, book off of it I mean the book is sold out in paperback right now so sorry I'm telling you about this obsession you can't uh, get it right now
2: <laughs> I've got my <laughs> library hold all in
0: but it was just it was just really fun and I just love that story too and I, I will be curious to see if she writes more going forward or if you know she's a professor and I don't know what she's gonna keep doing if she's got more stories in line here but it was just a really fun surprise because I was excited about it. And then I realized it was Raylo and I was like, Doug, and look at the cover. like that's
1: very <laughs> <laughs> And so I was just like really pleasantly surprised by it. And it was really it was a fun read. I think there's something to be said at how good a lot of fanfics are that they're I mean, I've read a lot that are better than books that mm-hmm, are yeah. published, you know, and so I'm so excited to see more venues like that where it's suddenly some of them are getting picked up. Or people who started with fanfic or publishing other things, and I love that.
0: Yeah, all going back to our original like thesis statement of this podcast and how we started with Fangirl. Like we obviously all hold fandom and fanfic very close to our hearts. So yeah, it's it's exciting to see like one of our own out there, <laughs> um, just kicking ass, taking name in the romance market. So yeah, that was very fun. Uh, but also this was really fun, this book and watching this film, and I'm excited to talk about it. This I feel in many ways is like our most YAYA YA book we've read, which is interesting. Uh, but again, we all found we all liked it and took a lot from it. So with that, let's dive into a quick book summary here. In case you're joining us having not read the book, only familiar with the film, or you just need a little refresher here. This is mostly taken from Wikipedia. So just citing that source. I've met Teja. Take it away.
2: All right. Eighteen-year-old Sophie Hatter is the eldest of three sisters living in Market Chipping, a town in the magical kingdom of Ingary, where fairy tale tropes are accepted ways of life, including that the eldest of three will never be successful. As the eldest, Sophie is resigned to a dull life running the family hat shop. Unbeknownst to her, she is able to talk life into objects. When the powerful witch of the waste considers her a threat and turns her into an old crone, Sophie leaves the shop and finds work as a cleaning lady for the notorious wizard Howell. She strikes a bargain with Hal's fire demon Calcifer. If she can break the contract between Hal and Calcifer, then Calcifer will return her to her original youthful form. Part of the contract, however, stipulates that neither Hal nor Calcifer can disclose the main clause, leaving Sophie to figure it out on her own. Hal's apprentice Michael runs most of the day-to-day affairs of Hal's business while Hal chases his ever-changing paramours. Sophie learns that Hal, a rather self-absorbed and fickle but ultimately good-natured person, spreads malicious rumors about himself to avoid work and responsibility. When Prince Justin, the king's younger brother, goes missing while searching for Wizard Solomon, the king orders Hal to find them both and kill the Witch of the Waste. Hal, however, has his own reasons to avoid the witch. The witch, a jilted former lover, has laid a dark curse on him. He successfully continues to avoid her until she lures Sophie into a trap. Believing the witch has taken Hal's current love interest, Miss Angorian, Sophie goes to save her and is captured by the witch. Hal spends hours in the bathroom every day primping himself to look handsome for girls Michael has said that the day he does not do this is the day Michael will believe that Howell is truly in love. So when Howell comes to save Sophie, unshaven in a mess, it demonstrates his love for her. He kills the witch and reveals that Miss Angorian was actually the witch's fire demon in disguise. The fire demon had taken control of the witch and was attempting to create a perfect human by fusing wizard Solomon and Prince Justin. It was to be completed by the addition of Howell's head. At the castle, Miss Angorian takes hold of Calcifer to capture Howell's heart, which he'd given to Calcifer. This was the contract between them. The heart kept Calcifer alive, and in return, Calcifer put his magic at Hal's disposal. Sophie uses her ability of bringing things to life to free Calcifer and restore Hal's heart, breaking her own curse in the process. With his heart restored, Hal destroys the witch's fire demon, freeing Solomon and Justin. Hal had realized early on that Sophie was under a spell and secretly attempted to remove the curse. When he had met with failure, he figured Sophie simply enjoyed being in disguise. Castleford returns, preferring to stay with Hal. Sophie and Hal reveal their feelings for each other, and Hal suggests they live happily ever after. Beautiful.
0: I was very tempted to almost start singing the song Ever After from Into the Woods, but I will spare everyone there
2: because, <laughs> like, this is just such a fairy
0: tale ending in so many ways. It just popped into my head uh, for reasons, but it's very precious. Like, can you, you can take the girl out of the musical theater, but you can't take the musical theater out of the girl, mm-hmm. apparently. But yeah, so. This book, I felt like we talked about this a little bit off air too. Like I felt like that the plot of this book kind of got a little away from me sometimes. And I was like, oh, this is, I feel like needlessly complicated in a lot of ways. It's kind of a very complicated vehicle to get this growth process from Sophie in particular. I don't know if you both felt similarly or, or, or different, but I, I, again, was very confused on like how the ending of this book actually shook out until I took some time to process it and reread it a few times. Um, I don't know. what We all think.
2: I never felt really confused about the plot, but I think that's probably mostly due to the fact that I wasn't that concerned with the plot. I was just so head over heels, charmed by Howl Dragon himself that I that was literally all like my mind was just howl running in circles. That's yeah. all I heard about. That's, you know, my own <laughs> poor reading of the book, but it is what it is. It's
1: interesting. I listened to it on an audiobook because I have a long mm-hmm. commute. And so I listen to a lot of my books now. And it's interesting. I kind of hear what you're talking about, Corinne, because I know a lot of the action and even a lot of the action that was in that summary happens in like what is the last 30 minutes mm-hmm. of the audiobook version. Mm-hmm. And I mean, up until then the characters are so interesting. It's, I mean, there's plot of course, but I feel like it's mostly about the characters and how they interact with each other and who they are or who they aren't. Um, And then all of a sudden at the end, there's just all of these reveals. And (laughs) like, so it can feel, I I get it. Like it feels like it suddenly happens.
0: Mm And I felt like too, and I again, I always say I'm going to do this. I'm not going to talk, like jump to the movie too much early on, but I do think you know, eliminating the whole plot of like the scarecrow and Prince Justin and 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 all of that is a, a really, I think, a strength of the film because yeah, those reveals in the end are all in the last chapter and it's very like and then this and this and this and i'm like but i don't really as you say i don't really care like <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for the journey of the characters that i love in this this family that flies around in this moving castle and uh, i i don't necessarily care as much about like the prince and whatnot i understand it's very important for Hal's journey that he's been looking for the prince the whole time but uh, yeah it was just I was kind of like oh there's many things happening here too and then I do think it kind of does muddy the waters a little bit in terms of what I think is like the coolest part of Sophie's arc in this book and we'll talk about Sophie in a, in a second here is her breaking her own curse uh, so I guess before we get to that let's let's talk about Sophie because what a fun POV character to be I love with her so much
2: She's kind of an ass, but like, like, that's what I love so much about her is that she's in her like constant refrain in this book. Every time anything minorly inconvenient happens it's because she's the eldest. It's because I'm the eldest of three. Like every, it's just so funny. She's, she, she manages to both be a very like insecure and self-conscious character while also being a total badass. And, and, and she has this very, like, I don't give a fuck attitude that I admire quite a bit. You know, it's it's a fun dual kind of perspective she's got.
0: I love from the very beginning. In like the second paragraph, you start with Sophie, um, and it's the narration says she read a great deal and very soon realized how little chance she had of an interesting future. Which, like, as someone who reads a lot, and we all read a lot of (laughs) fantasy, (laughs) right? Like, it's so it's so relatable. And she also thinks too, like, what made me think I wanted life to be interesting? I'd be far too scared. And I'm like, also, I relate. Like these two sides of yourself where you you feel torn, like between sense of like duty and just like, this is my life. Like I have to suck it up and deal with it. And then also wanting to get out into the world, but then being scared of what that world would be like, just like super relatable stuff from from Sophie here.
2: And I love so much that like her aging up instead of like constricting her more, it really sets her free. Like she had been so resigned to her life and she's what, like 18 and mm-hmm. she's so resigned. She's she's put herself into this position of being essentially like the old lady and being this matronly figure in her family, even over her own stepmother. And uh, and then she becomes old and all of a sudden just all, all of that weight of responsibility and everything else just falls off of her. And she's like, I don't give a fuck at all anymore. And she just takes off on her own and finally is ready to live her own life because, you know, weirdly enough, her being kind of at the end of it. I completely
1: agree. I, I think towards the beginning of your comment, you said like it sets her free in a way. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I feel like I read, And I think I know we're not comparing to the movie too much yet, but in the movie, and I've also read a lot of people talk about like this: Sophie in the book is different when she's older. But I think there are these elements, even when she's younger, like she's sassy, even Mm -hmm. when she's like dealing with customers and things like that, you know, like that exists. It exists more when she's older and she can just be that way. And so it's like, but I think those were always there in her and it just allowed her to expand on that and just be that yeah.
0: it's like when she at the beginning she's sassy and she takes it out on the hats and she just like talks to these inanimate objects and that's a great like tip off to her power which is you know giving life to things that she talks to but yeah she she goes from literally talking to inanimate objects to just voicing all of her thoughts out loud and it's a great it's a great journey. I really like fascinated by like this the her relationship with her sisters too and sacrificing for her sisters and she's like my sisters are gonna go do these things and I will be here in the shop and it kind of sucks and then like her arc just blows past all of that Mm -hmm. it it really is such a good arc from her but yeah the difference in her once she's old is is such a fun way to especially when you look at the fact that like this is geared towards young readers who you know we all have our own fears wrapped up in aging but you have a character who just becomes like such a badass when she's older like it's it's really so clever and and you ultimately then have you know like the ridiculous drama queen sexy wizard <laughs> man fall in love with you when you're like 90 years old like it's it's just it's a nice it's a nice twist on things
1: i think it's interesting you were sort of talking about that with sophie and as you were talking i was like it reminds me so much of her sisters in the book too and their arcs even though they're minor and smaller But, you know, Martha and Letty in the beginning of the book are given these jobs and they're like, okay, yes, we will do it. And then you find out later in the book that they have switched places because they're like, no, this is not for me. And so I think all three of the sisters in a way, like reclaim who they really are Mm -hmm. and through these journeys that they go on.
2: Yeah. And they're also good on their own too. Like the way that that they figure out what's going on with Sophie and try to send her help like completely on their own. And you don't need really even need their POVs to like understand that that's what's happening. But yeah, I, I really love that all three of the sisters are just great. And even from the beginning,
0: it's really subverting the fairy tale expectations. You know, Martha says to Sophie, You must do something about yourself, Sophie. Letty kept saying she didn't. Know what would happen to you when we weren't around to give you some self-respect. She was right to be worried. It's like tough love for Martha, <laughs> but it, like it, it's true. Like, and I, I like that that they have their sister's best interest in heart, and they, they're not just leaving to go out and like strike out and find their fortune or whatever the phrase is the book keeps using. They're, they're concerned about her too, and it's just a nice change. I think. Mm-hmm. I also like to, while we're on the point of family the realization Sophie has with respect to Fanny her stepmother who is taking advantage of her at the beginning but ultimately kind of Sophie figures out it's almost like subconscious and she's got her own stuff going on and at the end she like has a better understanding of Fanny and like why she was the way she was and I thought that was all really nice too and it kind of mirrors how she had
2: the wrong first
0: impression of Howell too
2: Yeah, I thought when you, when you brought up um, subverting expectations in regards to the sisters, I thought about uh, Fanny as well, because, you know, in, in fairy tales, it's very classic to have the older woman, especially the stepmother be this evil character. And in Fanny, she might not be completely, you know, altruistic or anything, but she's definitely not evil. And she, you know, the book points out specifically that she loves all of these girls equally, even though Martha is the only one that's her biological child. Um, And and she wants the best for all of them. So I really like that too, that, that um, we didn't fall back on, on those kinds of tropes. Yeah. While we're on the
1: subject of Fanny. I mean, yeah, I think you're exactly right that it's subverting this evil stepmother trope, which it seems to be at first, but even at first, like you were saying, she wants the best for her daughters, and she puts them in positions that she thinks they're going to be the best. She's wrong, but, <laughs> like, but also what I love about that is that when she finds out at the end, well, you find out that she's known that Martha and Letty switch places for a long time, and she's just like, well, that is what they want. And then she kind yeah. of does the same with Sophie. And I love that it's not the evil stepmother would be like, no, I gave you these positions. You're going to take them. But she's like, oh, no, my daughter's decided on this. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. She just wants them to be happy, like in the
0: end, you know. Yeah, the, the family reunion stuff in the very end is is really nice too. And I was like, I brought your family here. I <laughs> like, was just
2: gonna say that. I, I had totally <laughs> forgotten when I reread, I was like, Oh my god, Hal sent their her family because she'd been so grumpy because she was like realizing that she was falling in love with Hal and very pissed about it, which like also very relatable. Yeah, very, very relatable content, Sophie. And so she's all pissed off and grumpy about it. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to send her family to her to like cheer her up. It's very sweet. Hal tries is. his best <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Some yeah. Beautiful idiot. I love him so much.
0: I like it. That's another thing that I think is really fun about this book. You know, we read a lot of books and we love a romance on this podcast. We have a swoon section in our superlatives because we love these moments. But like, I'm like hard pressed to find. think of another story that we've covered Maybe what we're covering next might kind of veer closest to it. But like this idea of just like pure annoyance and like having that be the way that you process your feelings towards someone, which is in, like you said, a lot more realistic in a lot of ways than like, oh my God, like this person. I love them. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun to see. And I think it's such a um, it's just such a cover way to go about this book. And it really feeds into like the the big message the big takeaway of like you know first impressions aren't everything like there's layers to people and like you can change your path and like it's i just think it's so great and i think that's a big difference in the movie in a lot of ways but and i think maybe something i'm i don't want to say i miss like I, I said i love like a more like traditional romance too but i just think that was very fun when she's just like out like killing weeds because she's so pissed off she likes how oh, i'm like i love this
2: it's so refreshing Yeah, I really like. I mean, I I love both versions of of Hal. They're two two kind of different characters. Um, I think Hal is more you know the traditional swoony kind of character, and uh, Book Hal is an absolute brat. I love both of them very much. I think I prefer Book Hal just because I love that brat, that like charming little shit thing is very much my thing. But um, yeah, they're they're both great versions, and they're both great like romance buildups in the way that they're so annoyed with each other so much throughout it and uh I don't know the the buildup of that whole family unit really it it slays me
0: yeah the the way that they both are so similar in so many ways is just like really fun in the book like they are both kind of pretty in different ways and I like I like that as someone who has like a breath within her, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, it's a very fun balance between them. And we'll talk at the end. I think we all have kind of similar things, like looking ahead at superlatives. Like I like that their relationship is not like changed at the end. Like they're still going to be like, you're ridiculous, but I'm, I'm into it now. I'm admitting that I'm into it, but you're still being ridiculous. So that's really, that's really
2: fun too. I just remember that I read a a comment on one of like the Howl TikToks I've been looking at that somebody said that in the, I haven't read any of the other books in the series. I don't really have any desire to because I I like this so much as a contained story that I just, I don't want to read them. But somebody commented that in like the third book in the series, Howl spends like two thirds of it as a toddler specifically just to piss Sophie off. And I'm like, do I want to read these books now? Because that sounds <laughs> fucking hilarious. That sounds so how like, I like, I love that, you know, books later, he's still a little shit and, you know, they're still poking at each other. Yeah. I love it. That's no, that's super
0: fun. And I, I just, again, I really like how their arcs complement each other in so many ways here because, you know, they just start calling each other <laughs> bullshit at the end, you know, at one point, like. towards the very end Sophie's like screaming I'm the eldest Sophie shrieked I'm a failure garbage I'll shout it you never you just never stop to think it's like okay like let's combat these things that we're both saying about each other and you know I love the moment again we're only in her POV and I think the book does a nice job of kind of laying out what Hal knows when and I think it would be especially rewarding on a reread when you know that he knows the whole time but like I just I love all the moments we do get from Sophie like when she goes to the king and she's supposed to be like talking Hal down and instead she's saying things like this half the time I think he doesn't care what happens to anyone as long as he's all right but then I find out how awfully kind he's been to someone then I think he's kind just when it suits him only then I find out he undercharges poor people
1: I don't know your majesty he's a mess (laughs) Yeah, I love that and I love I love that they fall in love with each other for that mm-hmm. and not just I mean speaking of like subverting fairy tale tropes it's not like oh I discovered that this person is perfect they like especially when we see Sophie's point of view she falls in love with him despite all of that and you know yeah. it's just like oh he's so vain and he so this and he so that and even at the end when they talk about that happily ever after moment, she's just like, yeah, and we're going to annoy each other too. That's our happily (laughs) ever after.
2: (laughs) I, I love it so much.
1: The way they both like subvert their
0: like own expectations of themselves at the end is really great. Like, you know, we, this is what was confusing to me when I read it that Sophie like breaks her own curse. It's not like crystal clear in the book, but like she's keeping it on herself in a lot of ways. And then how, you know, we get mentioned in the summary too, like he casts aside all of his exterior like vanities and just like runs to save her. And he, you know, talks about at one point like how he's a coward and the only way I can do something frightening is to tell myself I'm not doing it. And they both like shed that at the end and do it for each other in a way that doesn't feel like their whole arc is based on the romance, but it's just like a really, a really complimentary journey for both of them. (laughs) And I just really like it a lot. The more I think about it too, the more I like it because I'm just like, this is very clever in a way that doesn't jump off the page with you. But when you sit with it a little bit, you're like, Dana and Jones, you you were making some sense here.
1: (laughs) Well, and I'm thinking about what you said about how like shedding his vanities. Mm-hmm. One of the things that always fascinates me at the end, when you find out that Hal has fallen in love with her, is like, she's been an old woman the whole time. And really? the whole time everyone's like, and she's even like, oh, he only goes after these beauties and he's just after the prettiest girl and is going around breaking hearts because of that. And it's just going from beauty to beauty. And it's like, nah, she felt like he fell in love with you when you were
2: this like old woman and you know. That was annoying the shit out of him. Yeah, right, trying, to, exactly. trying to kill his spiders and mess up his potions oh him with the spiders in his room <laughs> she just moves in and he like doesn't he's just like oh new roommate i guess like la 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 like does not care calcifer and michael spend all this time complaining about sophie to howl and he's just like shrug emoji like <laughs> which is funny
1: because he did the same thing with michael where mm-hmm. it's like michael mm-hmm. just showed up on his doorstep and he's like guess you live here now you know yeah and yeah, and I like you just just taking in all of these
2: people who show up. It's and that's great. super precious. And I love that he makes Calcifer and Michael deal with his his rejected ladies. <laughs> He's like, and Michael says, if you knew the trouble we've had because of how we we'll keep falling in love with like this, we've had lawsuits and suitors with swords and mothers with rolling pins and fathers and uncles with cudgels and aunts. Aunts are terrible; they go free with the hat pins but the worst is when the girl finds out where Hal lives and turns up at the door, crying and miserable. Hal goes out through the back door and Calcifer and I have to deal with them all. <laughs> and I just wrote, Hal, you useless slut. I love you. Like he's, I just, picture <laughs> him like crawling out of a window to get away from this girl. Cause he's such, a he can't like deal with it. Down the side of the house, <laughs> <laughs>
0: down the side of the castle. Uh, it's, uh, it's great stuff, but like one of the things that made me think of it like to how Sophie always refers to Hal as like a slither outer because he's just Mm -hmm. like always like like weaseling out of anything he doesn't want to do and one of the things I read online which actually like really clicked in for me what was so great about this was like how really that's like what Sophie does too like she uses her curse to like deflect from like really having to confront some of these things in her own life. And and it gives her like this sense of escapism and like a shield to do whatever she wants. And then when she, she breaks it, um, her breaks, her curse at the end, she's, she's stopping doing that at least in this respect for now, just as house, you know, taking responsibility and taking action at the end. And
2: I love that because yeah. it's like, she's also doing, using her, curse to deflect her feelings for Hal, because when she thinks about like okay yeah maybe i do have feelings for Hal, but it doesn't matter because i'm old so it, nothing can ever happen mm-hmm. yeah i i love that concept too because i'm just thinking about
1: i mean she spends the vast majority of the book trying to avoid her family so that they don't know that she's cursed and yet she's over here accusing Hal. like why do you run away from everything i don't <laughs> understand And it's like sophie look at yourself She's literally there because she ran away. Which was very odd too at the beginning. I'm like, she's just like, well,
0: guess I'll go now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, it, it's just so funny. She's just like, well, I guess I'm going go to pasture <laughs> just like, know. She just leaves. It's, it's, it is really silly, but yeah, just all those little moments add up to, to make, um, make it all just, like really meaningful. And then like, we, we touched about them a little bit, her family, we have an appreciation for them. When I said like the plot gets confusing or like needlessly confusing, like the Letty, Martha, like switching in the names and like which one is which. I'm just like, I love both sisters and everything that they did for her. But like that just
1: was a little much for me sometimes too. I second all of that. And I think especially for me, there were moments where it got confusing where it's like Hal and Michael are both like pursuing a Letty But it's a different Letty because Michael is in love with like the Letty who is actually Martha. And then and and Sophie's confused about it, too, because they both just say Letty and then she has to put it together. But uh, that was definitely a part that I had trouble keeping track of of like which one is in is in love with which and what's going on <laughs> it's something
0: that if like a, another film adaptation was made of this someday and it went more towards the vibes of the book and like the humor of the book a little bit more could actually be really funny I think in a visual medium like the the kind of slapstick element like you're not letting you, like it could play out differently yeah. um, but I think something about how it was written and just like I think the kind of pacing leading up to all of that, and like you said, Lauren, how so much of the action is right at the very end, then, and you're like, oh, ah, like so much is happening. It would have been nice to like let some of that breathe a little more along the way. Um, I get kind of what she was going for in terms of like the humor in those moments, but yeah, it was a little much. But again, I just, to circle back to what Taj just said at the beginning, I'm really here for all these characters. They're so and good. Hal being
2: the world's biggest drama queen.
0: <laughs> God, I <laughs> mean, <laughs> we haven't like really talked about them at all, but I know we have so many like favorite quotes. It's just like, you had warned me like you had sent me many a TikTok Tasia and like had talked with me a lot about how and like you're like, he's going to be great. And I'm like, OK, he's going to be great. I mean, I, I know t- enough to trust you implicitly at this point. So like I did know I'm not trying to be like sarcastic about it, <laughs> but I just was still not prepared. Like, it's just it's so funny. That- you
2: can't be prepared because I can talk about it all day. And you just like until you read it and the ridiculous things he does and says like just you don't know until you until you read it he is a ridiculous person
1: i mean the hair
2: itself like
1: when it's like
2: vaguely pink yeah
1: and and it's (laughs) insulting like even though like sophie has a similar hair color and he's just like oh how do you stand it or things like that it's like
2: (laughs) okay Hal, yeah despair anguish horror like because of his hair when he can easily change it in like half a second because he's a fucking wizard uh the green slime but really what gets me is the next day is sophie notes that like he's all sunny and cheerful as if he had never had a tantrum in his life and i'm like oh that's like the same though relatable relatable content I'm like i i didn't just throw a huge tantrum everything's fine now we're good yeah it's
0: when he's sick too i mean it's just <laughs> sick howl is my favorite howl <laughs> So funny because like we've all encountered, I'm sure people like that who get sick and just act like the world is ending, and it's just very <laughs>
2: funny. Um, we you can read about it, but you don't have to like, deal with that person in real life. I love this quote: "Sneezes mixed with the moans and coughs, and the sounds rose to a crescendo in which Hal seemed to be managing to cough, groan, blow his nose, sneeze, and wail gently all at the same time." <laughs> it's just so funny. But then I think, like, the next day or something, too,
0: he, like, drops down and Sophie thinks that, like, he didn't even cough. Like, he really must be tired because <laughs> he doesn't have the <laughs> energy to, like, engage in the performance anymore. Let's talk briefly about one of the things we talked about before, which is, like, the reveal that all of a sudden, like, we're in the modern world and how is is from Wales and... I think it's like very cleverly written, like how she describes like the computers or you know, the video games, TVs, whatever they are like, uh, as these like gray boxes that are growing out of the walls and like, it, it's all very well done, but I'm kind of like, I'd be fascinated to like, like hear more about why she made that choice and
2: like where that came from. I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on that. I just like that it ties in the whole like multidimensional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these worlds like Hal's house itself is like a portal to different worlds. And I don't know. I, I really, really love the detail that Hal is just some Welsh dude that used to play rugby and uh was getting his PhD in magic or something, and uh just decided to chill in this world. And speaking of brattiness and stuff like that,
1: his family. And, like, I think only one of his niece or something is the only one that actually really likes him. Everyone else yeah, spends yeah. the whole time saying, like, oh, Howell, like, you look dirty. What are you doing? Are you, like, a bum who is will never amount to anything? Why are mm-hmm. you bringing people here? Like, it's just, he's still dramatic even then.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, the same person all all the way through. Like, the, what was it one night that he goes he goes back there? because he's, I don't know, he's upset about something, and he was back there and just gets hammered at his, like, Welsh rugby team reunion. Yeah. And comes back yeah. all drunk, and he's, like, he said something about the bed was trying to dodge him or something.
0: I just like, too, though, how, like, seeing him interact with his family like and how he relates to them like it is so sweet when he calls his niece carried which if you've listened to our legend born episode that word is forever changed and imprinted Mm -hmm. in our minds it's um welsh for my love but i love that and then like just he has like these great moments of like thinking about his family too and it's kind of a great way for sophie to like start to see the real how you know she he's kind of out of it. And he says, I love whales, but it doesn't love me. Megan's full of envy because she's respectable and I'm not. And then he woke up a little more and asked, what are you doing here? So it's like, he has these moments (laughs) of vulnerability. And I think that's a great way to ground him.
2: And also that his view from the window in his bedroom is, is his family's backyard. That's really sweet. Soft. I like it. It's very soft.
1: Well, and I have to say, too, I mean, I promised a little bit of Tolkien. Yes, but, I was going to say. Perfect. Who is it? Megan? Uh, her house is called Rivendell. And yeah. so that's like one of the like most explicit references. But I mean, it's weird because even with all of the fantasy and stuff, that was the place that I see a lot like him going to the modern world is the place that I see the most like Tolkien influences, mm. partly because that's where you really see the first ideas of like how language influences a world. Like you have Miss Angorian who's using John Donne and then you find out that's a curse. And that's very mm-hmm. Tolkien of just like, okay, we're gonna have these like languages and words and that's gonna be so important. Um, and of course we find Sophie's powers and stuff later, but yeah, I mean, I I'm just obsessed
0: with that. It is interesting how those references are in the the modern world versus like this artificial world that like the fantasy world that they live in, which feels so it feels a lot like and I haven't seen it in so long. feels like how Shrek is very intentionally a parody of every like fairy tale that you've ever seen. And like that's what the magic kingdom that they live in feels like. It's just like here's the king. Here, let's check these boxes. Like evil person, blah blah blah. But it's I like the grounding in reality, like how it comes all from our world, and tying in and Tolkien references is a great way to ground it as well.
1: I wanted to share this quote from Diana and Jones about hmm. her experience in Tolkien's class. Oh, fascinating! Um, because, no. So yeah, she was a student of Tolkien uh so here's a quote that she has when I was a student at Oxford both CS Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were lecturing there Lewis magnificently and Tolkien badly and inaudibly and the climate of opinion was such that people explained Lewis's children's books by saying it's his Christianity you know as if the books were some symptom of some disease while of Tolkien they said he was wasting his time on hobbits when he should have been writing learned articles I imagine I caused Tolkien much grief by turning up to hear him lecture week after week while he was trying to wrap up his lectures after a fortnight and get on with Lord of the Rings. I sat there obdurately, despite all of his mumbling and talking with his face pressed up to the blackboard, forcing him to go on expounding every week about how you could start with a simple quest narrative and by gradually twitching elements as it went along, arrive at the complex and entirely different story of Chaucer's partner's tale, a story that still contains the excitement of the quest narrative that seeded it. First of all, I love this image of Tolkien. I <laughs> just mean like I don't want to <laughs> yeah. do. like that actually feels very howl to me in a Aww. weird way of just like mm-hmm. sitting up there and being like, I'm supposed to teach, but I don't want to and like, oh, why am I bothering?" <laughs> very true. And like it reminds me a lot of that scene with um, with Michael where he's trying to learn how to do this spell and Howl is just sitting there talking to Sophie instead. <laughs> and I don't know, there's just something about that image that really resonates with her description of Tolkien and things too. But of course, like talking about just start with the simple narrative, add a couple elements here and there and you get something totally different feels very much like what this book is. Yeah, yeah but Howell is very relatable i mean one of the quotes that i pulled out is you must admit i have the right to live in a pigsty if i want he also says i'm going up to my room where now where i may die i'm dying of boredom or maybe just dying like all of how even in his brattiness almost feels like the most relatable character to me i don't know what that's because about of the me. brattiness yeah exactly <laughs>
2: yeah. i think it's like, fair to say that we're a couple of brats but um <laughs> uh yeah the when when he's going to uh, Mrs. Penn Stemmons funeral and, and they're trying to talk him out of it. Cause he's, you know, supposedly so ill. And he's like, he's like, Oh, I shall die. And then you'll all be sorry. Like, he's just, he's so dramatic. It's just, it's charming. It's so charming. Yeah.
0: But then the 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 dramatics are rooted in like just a lot of feeling like again when he's going to the funeral he dresses all in black he dyes his hair black he's like black head to toe and then he changes himself into a dog and Sophie's like you're going to be a dog like why why the get up and he was like oh she had a keen attention to detail and I'm just like I love he's
2: paying his respects the way that he knows how and and the way that he knows how is through his vanity and the, you know, yeah. the way he looks. And I also love that at the end, I think this book, first of all, just has an adorable ending. It's just, this is one of those books that you yeah. like, read front to back, like just with a big stupid smile on your face. Um, at least that's how I read it. And, oh, and yeah. then the end when it's just like Sophie and Hal and and they're like holding hands and just staring at each other and just grinning like idiots while everybody around them is trying to get their attention, I think is really sweet. It's just very cute. Yeah. And the very end too. Like, I'm just like, I can't
0: think of any other examples right now, but like, I'm a sucker for a character who like, it's like, um, not forced proximity, but like, uh, reluctant allies. Mm -hmm. It's like Calcifer is there because of this contract and he desperately wants to get out of it and that's how the whole journey with sophie and calcifer like begins but then at the end, he comes back and i love that that's where the book ends mm-hmm. because i'm just a sucker for that type of story it's like i don't have to be here anymore but i'm choosing to be it's just it's well, great. this is
2: a great found family michael calcifer yeah. hal and sophie all of them
1: i was thinking about too how much of this book is about appearances And like how, especially Mm. how people and things are never what they appear to be. And I think that maybe that's why there's feels like there's so much at the end happening because suddenly so much is revealed. And I mean, we've seen Sophie's curse throughout the whole thing, but then that's finally broken and we see like her as she is. But like we find out about the scarecrow then who's been this terrifying figure for the whole time and then turns out to be an ally and is helping them and is fighting the witch. And same with Calcifer who... I mean, even in the beginning, she describes him as like scary and with these pointed teeth and he's a demon. And then you learn like, no, he's going to come be a part of our family. Welcome demon, you know? Um, and of I course, Miss Angorian. <laughs> like- yeah. Yeah. That's a great point.
0: And it's, it's so true. And it's like, a it is in a lot of ways, i like the perfect, I said, it was not, I said it was a complicated vehicle for this journey that Sophie goes on, but it really does mirror her, her own journey in a lot of ways. And I, I like originally rated it four stars, but now I'm like, this stuff is good. Like it's there. I don't know where my mind was when I was reading it. I was just, I was bewitched by how. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, that's how it goes, man. I, I was just, yeah, I I do really think it would be one that's super rewarding and reread, mm-hmm. but like get all of it, these crumbs that are sprinkled yeah. in there so smartly.
2: And on that note too, uh, we've talked about how Diana Wynne Jones was obviously so inspired. uh, by, by Tolkien, Maggie Stiefvater, who wrote you know, our favorite series, uh, The Raven Cycle, she was heavily influenced by Diana Wynne-Jones. Diana Wynne-Jones is her favorite writer. So you can see kind of sprinkles of Diana Wynne-Jones in The Raven Cycle. Like now that you've read this, you can see like little hints of that kind of similar, really dry humor and, and the, the way those little hints are sprinkled throughout. Like it's, it's, it's there when you're looking for it. A whale's connection. Mm, that's true.
0: Yeah, that too. Fascinating. It all comes <laughs> full circle. Love it. So yeah, that, that was a really fun book. I'm glad we read it. And I'm really glad we watched the film. So let's talk about that now. Cause just something, a big gap in my cultural knowledge for sure. And I loved the movie a lot with some like notable asterisk, but we'll get to them. It's just it's beautiful, it's lovely. Um, as you said at the beginning, Lauren, like, this is why, you know, we knew that you would be great to come <laughs> on this podcast. So
1: tell us in particular, you know, I guess maybe
0: why you love this film so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so I watched the movie first and many, many times mm-hmm. before I ever touched the book. The first time I read the book was this year for this pod. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I was really familiar with howl's moving castle the movie which i think we've talked about is it has to be taken separate as an entire separate Mm -hmm. plot with references to the book Mm -hmm. the movie this weekend and was suddenly like do i like this movie anymore (laughs) because and i do and i think you're right where it was like i the visuals are stunning And I think in some ways, especially when I was about halfway through the book, and the first part is very similar in a lot of ways. I think it's the second Mm -hmm. half that really diverges. I was like, oh wow, Miyazaki really is the best director to take this on because there's so many fantastical elements, but also still this fun, like childlike fantasy play that Miyazaki does so well. And so, yeah, I, I think I struggle because there are things that I wish were in the movie or different about the movie, especially after reading it. And yet I also still have this feeling of like Miyazaki had to be the one to do it.
2: Yeah. No, I, I would totally yeah. agree with that. I think, you know, like like you mentioned, we have to kind of look at them as, as two separate stories with, you know, the same characters. But I mean, there's no way even... even the first time I watched this movie, it being right after I finished the book and being kind of like having it be a very jarring experience because it's so different. But even then, as as part of me was going like, I don't know if I, if I can like this, having just read the book and it being so different. I still, I mean, at the end of the day, I came down to like, no, I absolutely love this movie and I love it so much. And I don't know anybody else that could have taken like such a great, charming, original property, like how's moving castle changed it completely for the film adaptation. Have me still love it just as much. Um, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a gorgeous movie the the music is unparalleled. Yeah. I, I can't listen to that theme without getting a little like tear in my eye and full goosebumps. Like it's, it's great. Yeah.
0: I think one of the best changes overall is centering it in war times which is like very lightly hinted at um in the book that if they don't find the prince that they might go to war with whatever kingdom or whatever mm-hmm. but having that be like the focus of Hal's journey in a lot of ways uh, makes it a much more i think I don't want to say natural arc, familiar arc, I think, in a a limited like two hour movie. It's like, okay, this person's a reluctant hero, but like rising to the occasion for reasons. And they're they're good ones. And not that they're not good in the in the book, but it's just it's something that's more like ostensibly relatable, I guess. It feels more poignant. There you go. Thank you. Poignant is a great way to put it. And so, yeah, I think I, I do really like that change, especially having, as I said, like getting a little bogged down in the details of some of the plot elements in the book that all worked really well for me.
1: Yeah. It, the war, I think I also agree. That's one of my favorite changes to the movie. I think it does. It, it feels poignant and adds stakes to those things. And I think one of the hard things to show with Howl from like book to movie is how he cares about people, despite all the vanity, mm-hmm. despite all of that. Um, because in the book, a lot of it is just things that Sophie finds out from other people. Oh, he did this, he did that. And of course you could show it in a movie, but I think that the war was a really great way of showing how much Howl cares. And you have all of these moments Mm -hmm. where he's like he's been fighting this whole time and he's it's taking a physical toll on him as well as an emotional one and so i think it really helps to show even that characterization it's also just very Miyazaki (laughs) to have a war um i mean some of his previous films like um i think i think princess mononoke i can't remember if it was i think it's before. I'm getting my timelines mixed up, but Princess Mononoke for sure. of the Valley of the Wind, which was one of Miyazaki's first films, very war-driven, very fantasy, very all of this. And so it feels, it feels like that, like Miyazaki spin on the world to place it there and have something to say about war and its effects and things like that. Yeah. I
0: guess I want the one thing I do want to say different that, and I kind of talked about it a, a bit earlier too, that I'm, I'm still like kind of of two minds about is how the romance works in the movie. Because again, the movie is just such a sweeping, like traditional romance in a lot of ways. And it's, it's beautiful. And so. And I love like seeing that he sees her and like, he is a great, clever way of showing what we know at the end of the book that Hal knows all along about Sophie. But like, I do think I just, because we see a story like that a lot. It doesn't feel like I don't want to say it doesn't feel as special, but I just was like so charmed by the romance in the movie that I felt like it lacked a little teeth in comparison in the movie, even though I like loved it all. Like I was swooning. I was like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. And it's it's fine. It's it just I think like the humor is not there in the same way in the mm-hmm. in the film. on like a lot of levels. Which is like again great and, and and different, but that for me is again I'm of two minds about it. Like I I'm disappointed that like I would love to see another film adaptation version with like that's cl- a little closer to the book Sophie and Hall too. That said, I'm so happy to have this version too, and we could have both. Like, yeah, why not both? That gif.
1: <laughs> I I agree. I I think one of the things that bothers me about the romance in the movie is that. Is not necessarily about the romance itself but that the movie also before the romance strips a lot of sophie's power um like mm. her hints of having magic that she clearly yeah. has in the book yeah. is discussed and is a plot point kind of go away and there's small references to it kind of in the movie but she doesn't always feel like a character that has agency in the world or grows to have agency in the world in the way that she does in the book and I think that that's more of what bothers me about their romance than it, it becomes very traditional. Like this woman falling in love with man and seeing him for who he is and not also – we don't get her arc in the
2: same yeah. way. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I think also having Sophie's main conflict with herself be that she doesn't think she's pretty, I think that's kind of a weaker – Place to have Sophie coming from, um, like her insecurities all coming back to her perceived appearance. I don't think is as strong as as the Sophie in the book where she has you know resigned herself to be the being the oldest and having to have all this responsibility and having to be, you know, matronly basically. Um, to have it come down to how how she feels about the way she looks, I feel like isn't isn't that strong. Um, and in general, yeah, I think Corinne you put it really well when you said that. The movie, the romance in the movie had less bite. I like the bite that it has in the book because, uh, I, I, you know, I'm a sucker for banter. There's a lot of good banter in the book. The, the kind of like reluctant, like feelings for each other thing yeah. is a really good trope that I like. Um, yeah. Well, and I think to what
0: Lauren said kind of hit the nail on the head for me about, like Sophie's lack of agency. Because one of the things that I think is really special in the book. Because I was rereading it, because I was again confused on what happened with her curse at the end. Which the movie, when you don't know anything about Sophie's powers, you're like, how is it love? Like the <laughs> love breaker curse? Like what happened here then? Um, but in in the book, like it's it's really special. I think where Hal reveals he's known that she's been under this curse this whole time, and he was just like. I thought you liked the disguise like he's see and he's giving her that like time. And I think the movie goes hit on that as well. But I think that you get more of a sense of like, he's letting her work through her shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, In a way that's like, it's really, it's really nice to see. And again, if if this, if we didn't have the book again, just looking at the movie, I think it would just be would be wonderful and great. And this is why we do this podcast, I guess, to like <laughs> compare and contrast. But I, I don't want to like take it away because it's hard. Because we, I feel like every single book in movie combo we've covered on this podcast, we've all been like, the movie, <laughs> like, I hate, I hate this. I don't ever want to watch this again. The book is so much better. And I kind of feel similar, but I don't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. Like so it's 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 weird again I love two minds.
2: No oh, yeah I think it really just comes down to seeing them as two different properties like that's how yeah. I have to yeah. I have to do that in order to be able to love the movie as much as I do.
1: Yeah, that's true. And in a lot of ways it is. It was mm-hmm. like Miyazaki set out to make an adaptation and then halfway through was like I'm going to make my movie. became <laughs> yeah. like yeah. that's what it is. Um yeah. But but I also I agree that it's still so good and it's good to a point where it's it's that kind of movie where I'm like, oh, I wish that they had adapted these scenes because I think Miyazaki could do-, do really well with them. Like, one yeah. thing that's not in the movie that I love from the books is just the use of the seven-league boots and yes. just, like, yes. all of the stuff around it and then traveling. And I'm like, I, that actually feels like something Miyazaki could have done so well and have this humor in it and it just be so fantastical and you just, you know, Sophie going by and you see all of these places and um like that's something that I'm like oh that would have fit in this movie I think and I wish it had been I saw your note on that and I was like ah you're right (laughs) that would have been Mm -hmm. so good in the
0: movie and too I mean the war stuff has value as we already talked about but like some of the battles we get between him and the witch of the waste in the book which I am like a terrible battle reader and my eyes always (laughs) <laughs> so have to read a battle, but like seeing them visually, obviously would have been really cool uh, too. But we'll talk about the adaptation stuff, <laughs> the Witch of the Waste, right? Because that stuff is interesting to me. But yeah, let's <laughs> move into our superlatives. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So these are book stuff. We'll stick with that, and then we'll just talk about adaptation stuff at the end. So we'll start with favorite quote, and we'll just go kind of in a, a circle. I'll read one first. This is when Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> is on her journey to house at the beginning I never realized before what old people had to put up with she panted as she labored uphill still I don't think wolves will eat me I must be far too dry and tough that's one comfort Sophie's pragmatic great.
2: Sophie <laughs> <laughs> Asia All right, this is from Howl about Sophie yes you are nosy you're a dreadfully nosy horribly bossy appallingly clean old woman control yourself you are victimizing us all yeah, she's victimizing everybody. I know,
1: right? you know. <laughs> Lauren. Um, yeah, I put one uh, from Sophie's point of view. It, it is quite a risk to spank a wizard for getting hysterical about his hair, and I, I just... did love that. <laughs> I was like, "Do it anyway."
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we've already talked about this moment before, but it bears repeating because it is it is so good. I think it's very nice, she said. Nice, screamed Hal, you would. You did it on purpose. You couldn't rest until you made me miserable too. Look at it, it's ginger. I shall have to hide until it's grown out. He spread his arms out passionately. Despair, he yelled anguish for <laughs>
1: That is the hysterical uh, about his hair for which he needs
2: to be I feel like Hal is one of those characters that's just so great on paper, like in in media. But like, if I knew him in real life, I'd be like, "Oh my god, shut up!" But it's he's very charming in fiction. I eat it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All
2: you. right. <laughs> uh, this is Hal talking to Sophie. Why have you made a jigsaw puzzle of my best suit? Just a friendly inquiry, you know. Uh, the the suit stuff
0: is another part that I was just kind of like,
2: mm-hmm. suit like she's sewing, she's doing something to them. Well, I forgot that she had been the one to put that spell on the suit he was wearing that yeah. made women just to eat him up. Uh, yeah. At first, yeah. I was like, oh no! It's, <laughs> but
0: it's another thing that like when you go back and read it like you're gonna be like oh yeah now it makes sense what we're spending so much time talking about his mm-hmm. suits before i'm like what is happening i mean i love a fashion moment yeah. don't get me wrong but as i just love how so. this quote it
2: <laughs> like just shows how kind of lets things happen to him sometimes uh you know she's sitting there cutting up his suit and he's just like oh uh, okay but i mean whatever what i that's happening to me yeah <laughs> lauren uh so this is from the witch of the
1: waste uh she said over my dead body so i took her at her word and i was just like that is so that you know for a book that is for the most part childish childish in a good way
0: Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm.
1: fantastical lighthearted, that kind of thing that is such a chilling moment to me
2: and i was like oh we got some like horror happening how goes off at the Mm -hmm. end Mm -hmm. he's nobody to be like he's he's this like pampered prissy vain little brat but he's also like don't fuck with him yeah it's it's
0: like the moments of maturity here are great and that's why this next quote like I know sometimes there's just like different uses of words than how we would use them in 2021 but like this one I was like this is kind of adult but I like it um, this is Sophie thinking about how Letty has sent like this guy she's into she just says poor Letty breaking her heart for hell and her only other lover a dog most of the time <laughs> I laugh a lot but I'm like oh and there's no uh there's no hiding like what's going on like <laughs> <laughs> I like it um it's just very mature and fun and
2: it's silly because he's the dog all the time I should then one last one here Ah, this is my my favorite house a cowl. I feel ill he announced I'm going to bed where I may die he tottered piteously to the stairs bury me beside mrs beside mrs penstemon he croaked as he went up them to bed and then, like, five minutes yeah. later, he's up there yelling, like, I'm dying of regret or I'm dying of neglect up here. So he's like,
0: Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> All right, favorite character in arc, Lauren, why don't you go first?
1: So Sophie is my favorite character. I, I put also maybe Martha because I love the sisters so much. Um, but their arc mm-hmm. is so much smaller. I mean, it's important throughout the book, but um i think we just get to see more of sophie um how she grows her sass her interactions with people and that sort of thing so i ultimately chose sophie though i do want to give like an honorable mention to martha especially for going out and finding the spell that she needs to take her sister's place and organizing all of that like martha's a badass too and i'm very here for that Love
2: that. Hey, yeah i think arc is just easily Sophie. Um, just, she learned so much about herself and, and her kind of dropping that spell off of herself at the end, I think is really important, um, that she's ready to, I don't know, like just, just be happy and not, not resign herself to anything anymore. And she's comfortable in her own skin. I think it says a lot about, about where she's come from, um, in that arc and then how for character, because, you know, what am I but a simp?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, just basically retweet everything Taja just said. Although, I mean, we didn't talk about him a ton, but I love Calcifer. Yes. Like a lot. I think I texted Taja at one point when I was reading it. I was like, in any other world, like if Hal didn't exist, like Calcifer would no doubt be my favorite character. Like his just kind of wry observations from his fireplace <laughs> off to the side, like, are just, it, I just really liked him. And again, I liked his choice to come back at the end as. Just makes the ending even more impactful. And shouts to our little fire team, Lauren. I just remembered
2: we're-, we're supposed to get calls for tattoos. Yes. Oh we're my god. We're gonna do it.
1: Yeah, let's do it. We got it. We got to get together. But yeah. yeah, I'm so good for that. Mm-hmm. I I was gonna say too, if we're for minor characters, I was also just thinking about like Miss Angorian because I have a thing for villains, and and I just love that. <laughs> like she seems off from the beginning i mean you meet her in wales and she seems to know about magic in a way that's like hmm people from wales should not know about this mm-hmm. and then yeah. it turns out she's a big bad the whole
2: time i love that well, yeah. we do often say yeah. on this podcast we love a hot mean girl
0: mm. we do mean
2: <laughs> girl very true
0: i'm not gonna put her on the shirt though. no, the no. Kids like. she doesn't go on the shirt <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> the um, shirt
2: that we're hypothetically gonna make one day. <laughs> I want that yeah, shirt. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: okay, so favorite swoon moment. Um, I'll go first. This as soon as it was telegraphed, I was knew I was gonna love it when it happened. Michael saying, like as soon as he doesn't like primp himself for hours, that's how i know he was really in love. And I'm like, I can't wait till he does that for Sophie. <laughs> and so it's just Hal burst onto the lawn. He had not bothered to alter his clothes. He did not bother to do any magic. He just charged straight at the witch. (laughs) We love that moment of growth for the girl he loves. It's great.
1: Lauren. We talked a little bit about this one, the happily ever after quote, but I I will read sort of the the back and forth here. Um, I think we ought to live happily ever after. And she thought he meant it. Sophie knew that living happily ever after with Hal would be a good deal more hair raising than any storybook made it sound, though she was determined to try. It should be hair-raising, added Hal. And you'll exploit me, Sophie said. And then you'll cut up all my suits to teach me. And I just love the idea that Happily Ever After isn't that storybook Happily Ever After. It Mm -hmm. includes adventure, it includes knowing who people are, making fun of that, doing things to annoy each other and somehow still fitting in, and that's Happily Ever After. And I love that. Injected into my veins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's It's so good. And that... This is my other moment. I'm just going to pay you of it. Sorry. Jumped you, <laughs> Taysha. But like <laughs> the reason I love this moment, the callback to when he talks about her hair, because when he dyes his hair and he's like, I'm a ginger and it's like, it's, he's so dramatic about it, but. I love when he goes, Would you call your hair ginger? Red gold, Sophie said. Not much had changed about how that she could see. Now he had his heart back, except maybe that his eyes seemed a deeper color, more like eyes and less like glass marbles. Unlike some people, she said, <laughs> It's natural. I've never seen why people put such value on things being natural, Hal said. And Sophie knew then that he was scarcely changed at all. And it's like, yet they're accepting of that, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're not going to change at all. Like, this is who they are. Like, they're going to be
2: into it. I just, it was a great last scene there. Yeah. It's great. And I love a reformed slut.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: How's a good boy.
0: Yes. i um, a friendship soon. Moment is cast for coming mm. back. the Thank mm-hmm. you. Talking about that moment. Cause it's really great. All right. Adaptation choices, best and worst. Tasia, would you like to kick us off?
2: Sure. Uh, I think my, f- my personal favorite is, um, in the film, Sophie's age changing depending on her mood and her feelings in the moment. Uh, sometimes she seems very near to like her original self uh, when she's feeling the most free and unself-conscious and unburdened and happy. She is almost her young, completely her young self again. Um, but then, you know, when she gets those self-conscious and anxious moments or when she, you know, thinks of herself as ugly and, and all of that then she's really old i like tracking sophie's progress and her mood through um her appearance and and the idea that probably these other characters that are around her are tracking that too and being able to pick up like what she's going through in that moment based on how she looks and um my worst was uh we've talked about it a little bit already but having sophie's magic not be obvious like it is in the book i think it took a it took you know, a fair chunk away from her character. And, and like you said, Lauren, her agency um, to have her not really have that much to do with the story, like with, with the progress of the story, because so much of it is like kicked off with with her own magic and it's just not really present in the movie. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Lauren? um
1: yeah so we we talked about the best for me which is the addition of the war i think it adds so much plot it adds a miyazaki factor which i think in any adaptation you know a a page two movie like oh here's the dialogue that says is never that good so like a director Mm -hmm. and a writer has to put a spin on it and i think that's a spin that really works um Mm -hmm. for both of those my worst is I mean I miss the sisters. We do see Letty, but mm-hmm. she's different than she is in the book, and I think some of that is we don't get the Letty Martha dynamic. There's actually a quote I don't I just caught it the first time, or the, when I watched it this weekend. Um, at the very beginning when they're talking about Hal and his curse, they the girls in the hat shop say, "Remember Martha from South Haven?" They say he tore her heart out, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There's like a little Easter egg for. Martha in the movie had her heart torn out by Hal. <laughs> I don't think I even caught that. That's funny. I just caught it for the first time. Oh, I love that. Uh, but yeah, I really, I really miss them. And I don't, I think the other one that I don't love is The Witch of the Waste. Um, yeah. fully agree. You're gifted. It just yeah, doesn't feel great. It feels fat phobic at times. Pretty it's offensive. It feels, yeah. Um, and in the book, she's glamorous. Like she's described mm-hmm. as glamorous and this like, know amazing person and so i feel like that was lost a lot in the depiction right yeah and and i think
0: too and this is my worst too. So i'm gonna jump in here a little bit like i we said we love a good villain and the witch of the waste in the book is a really good villain and i don't think that switching around the characters and making mrs penstemon miss sullivan but and, and like mixing that all it just didn't really work in the same way at all and I agree on like the fat phobia is just not great and it's just like you have Lauren Bacall doing this voice which is incredible like she's so good like let her be like the sultry villain like just let her shine in that moment and then I don't like how all of a sudden like the witch of the waste is just like they're chilling maybe because i'm feeling like very protective of this found family after reading the book but i'm like you're
1: not supposed to be here ma'am please leave like and it doesn't make sense i mean it's it never made sense to me even when i just watched the movie where it's like she does so much bad she puts the curse on sophie all of this stuff and then suddenly she's tagging along with them by accident Mm -hmm. as they're escaping a palace and then they're just like, yeah, you're going to stay here. And then she does evil things towards the end. I mean, she gives the heart back and everything in the movie, but she's clearly clinging to it. I'm like,
2: why? Why is she here?
1: <laughs> she yeah. does not. Why yeah. would you let
2: her be here? And it feels like a weird arbitrary change to have to take like this, you know, the villain character of the Witch of the Waste and make her a more neutral character, but then take a really good character like Mrs. Penn Stemmen and make her like evil and Mrs. Solomon and have her in league with the king. But then also at the end, this never made sense to me either. When Prince Justin is revealed and and in the movie, he's uh, not the king's younger brother. He's uh, from another kingdom that they're going to be at war with. And he turns back into a human and, and Miss Solomon is like, "Eh, let's put an end to this stupid war. And I'm like, wait, you were very about this. war (laughs) literally five minutes ago. What is going, what? And that was, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, it's weird.
0: Yeah. And I'm stealing this from your notes, Lauren, because I'm reading them here. But also the fact, too, which I didn't even quite pick up on, but like that the Witch of the Waste curses Sophie in the movie because the Witch saw her with Hal. Mm-hmm. She's jealous, which is definitely an element of the Witch of the Waste in the book, but it's not why she curses Sophie. Um, she realizes that Sophie is like a threat.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they take a lot of the stuff like that gives Sophie power and makes makes it about Howl. Mm-hmm. And I don't like I don't like mm-hmm.
0: that. Yeah, I agree totally. The Witch of the ways is my worst to adapt- change. My best, I think, technically probably is the war stuff we've talked about already. But also, I just wrote Bird Howl equal sexy as my best choice because i was just like watching this movie i'm like why is this working the fact that also we're an hour and a half in friends and we have not talked about like how hot so the attractive is this movie it's
1: so much it's like
2: it's obscene obscene I can't. when he
1: and sophie interact at the very beginning and oh he God. takes her away from the people who are basically rapists let's be real mm-hmm. here um yeah. and then flies her up and drops her off at at the hat shop I think it's the hat shop then mm-hmm. that is gorgeous that is like fantasy like yes I want a man to take me out of these terrible situations
2: <laughs> that's my girl like that's yes. my girl oh. Like, oh my God. I just can't
0: <laughs> I it's, it, it's so oh. good but like oh he's just he's so sweetie like and it's just like he gets progressively hotter like the the blonde hair is great and then he dyes his hair dark and I'm just like oh my god I can't handle it and then he's like a whole bird man and I'm like I'm
2: very interested. we love a bird just- Love <laughs> two, two podcasts in a row now
1: <laughs> I think you and I both have bird tattoos right
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah i, I genuinely i genuinely love a bird and i'm glad yeah. that this podcast for some reason is very very corvid related at all times mm-hmm. as it should be yeah oh, <laughs> corinne doesn't even like birds in
1: real life <laughs> but, but her life is but there's a moment the where hal rescues her as a bird too and like has his bird wing oh, yeah. armor on and he is so yeah. hot and it should not be <laughs> that hot <laughs>
0: It is. Yeah, he—he's oh, he's just like a real big swoon bomb in the in the movie, and I—that's why it's like okay, I'm okay with these changes because I'm like, oh my god, you're so great. <laughs> oh, and he's like, oh, I have something to fight for now. I'm like, ah,
1: this
0: is so Oh, uh, or whatever he says to her at the end. It's yeah, he's he, that was another thing that I was worried that was perhaps oversold to me was just like film how just being such a babe in every way, shape, and form. And I was like, he can't possibly live up. He did. Uh so that was a delight.
2: Oh, and shout out to making Michael slash Markle younger, aging mm. him down, I think was really smart.
0: Yeah, yeah. It really worked. The like he was very cute mm-hmm. with um Grandma Sophie. Yeah.
1: And, and the way that he interacts yeah. oh my gosh one of my little favorite moments is when he puts the cape on and it just gives him the this, little like, beard yeah. there. just i mean it's those like little touches of magic throughout that are yeah. so cute to me just adorable
0: and then they go to the store too and it's like a nice callback to the book as well because like movie Hal is a little more competent seeming like uh, all across the board then book howl but like it's a nice callback to in the book where sophie's like michael's running the show <laughs> like this is this is all michael <laughs> i do like to i don't know maybe think of this but like there's one too where sophie thinks in the book about like how like michael's great but he's useless in a crisis <laughs> and i was like <laughs> drag him so we would also i relate to that as well <laughs>
1: I would just be like oh, I don't know there's a scarecrow put that on my tombstone I'm great but useless in a crisis <laughs> <laughs> not good. yeah
0: he's a great character we didn't talk a ton about him as much but I did really like him in, in both the movie and the book it's great well we did it this was really fun I really liked this journey it felt like Overdue for us to cover something that like, just truly was so YA mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. We've really skirted the line here for a while, doing just things that are not. Guitar. Guitar.
1: <laughs> but here is why we're putting this as YA. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. Hey, if if whoever Bloomsbury marketed it as YA, like I think it's very impressive. Yeah. To- <laughs> I guess, but it yeah, was so it was a treat to go back to something that is just truly meant for a younger audience and we just were all endlessly charmed by it as adults and it was great i really liked it lauren thank you so much for joining us this was so fun Thanks so much for having me you're welcome back anytime yep we would love to have you back sometime in the future uh before we go lauren where can
1: our listeners connect with you if you'd like. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at rhetoric in like the letter in spice.
2: Asia. you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes.
1: You can find me on
0: Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. You can choose an email if you'd like at act your age pod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind ranking and reviewing us, particularly on Apple podcast, that would be super great. Help get us up in those search results. We'd really appreciate it. Tasia, do you want to tell our friends what we
2: are doing next here on this podcast? We are super excited. Um, in a couple of weeks, we will be starting our coverage of the Book of the Air series by Holly Black. It's a it's a fave of ours. So
0: it is a fave. It's, yeah, The Curl Prince is the first book followed by The Wicked King and Queen of Nothing. One of the first book series that Tasia and I like corresponded about Besides the Raven Cycle, and I'm really excited about it. Um, this is what I was referencing earlier when I was like, "Oh, these two really don't like each other."
2: This is enemies to lovers, where they are genuinely enemies, genuinely. They enemies. hate each other. Yeah. And also, it's if, it's a if you're a fan of like I am of um of heroines who are assholes, this this is it for you. And uh and, and heroes that are useless twinks. This is this is it.
0: Yeah, uh Carden Greenbrier has big and dragon energy. He really, really does. He really does. No wonder I love out El- both of them <laughs> a lot. So this is great. I'm ready to continue this journey of like just bedazzled, bejeweled, vain fantasy And men. The mean girls that they <laughs> That's love. What we got here. And the mean girls that they
2: love. Oh, God, it's great.
0: All right. So we're really
2: excited about that. That's- we got very excited for a minute. We-, <laughs> we went off. We really did.
0: We've just been like sending fan art back and forth to like get the hype train going. I oh, do. Folk with
2: the Air has some of the best fan art in the biz. They really oh, do. Yeah. There's a lot of knives involved. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's very good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you
0: again, Lauren, for joining us and we'll see y'all in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.